Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today we are talking about an organization called Unlocking Doors. Here to help me with that are two representatives. We will start off with their founder, president, and CEO, Christina Melton Crane. How are you doing today? Doing great, Nick. Well, thank you very much. A colleague of mine did an interview with you, and I edited it. Once I was done editing it, I realized you were going to be a perfect candidate for this show. Got in touch with you, and here you are. So thank you very much for joining me. Uh, the first thing to do, as always, is to talk about the basics of this organization. What is Unlocking Doors? Unlocking Doors is not like any other reentry organization out there. And when I say reentry, I mean dealing with those with criminal backgrounds who are reentering free world. What we are is a reentry brokerage network. So... Like you've heard many times uh, folks speak about services they provide for individuals, case management, which includes a lot more of this day-to-day, getting in touch with clients, making sure that they're actually receiving the service itself or doing the service. We don't do that. What we are is we're a network that's been created to encompass all of the service providers, the experts as we call them, in the field, so that we can connect those with the criminal backgrounds to those services in a comprehensive format and then monitor their progress as they're working through a comprehensive plan that we've put together for them so that they hopefully don't reoffend and go to a future of self-sufficiency. Why not be an organization that does it all yourself? Why go to these different partners and different people to become this brokerage firm? Because uh, on your on your website, which is unlockingdoors.org, I noticed that that word brokerage kept coming up a lot, and it was you were very specific in how you handled your business. But I think that there's a lot of other organizations that do similar work, but you guys are the only one that does this type of work, or at least in this fashion. So why approach it this way? Because we're filling a gap that has existed for really ever. Um, there are, as we call the service providers, experts in the field who have been doing their particular honed skill with these individuals for years, sometimes 50, 100 years, uh, whether it's getting them housing, employment, transportation, et cetera. We don't need another organization who is going to be not only a competitor to those who already exist, but is trying to be everything to the individual. We have so many folks in Texas alone, because we are the largest state with the largest criminal justice system in the United States, that needs so many services that there really needs to be this guide, this one-stop kind of atmosphere where the client can come, they can get fully assessed, we can determine all the needs that they have, we can determine the risk for reoffending, and then we can send them out to all the experts and, and make sure that they're getting the services that way instead of yet one more organization who's trying to be everything to everybody. 
typically that format, when you try to be all things to all people, doesn't work very well. Is that why you approach it like that? Because that was going to be my guess as to you've seen this happen before and you've seen this model fail continually and it doesn't help the people that it's supposed to help. So uh, was this approach the idea that, well, I, I think I do know how to make it work and it's not trying to do everything by yourself. It's working with these people who are already doing an excellent job at it. That's correct. And coupled with the fact that to really move forward in a successful manner, these folks, ha- it's not just about getting a job or getting housing. It's about getting those things, but then being able to sustain those. And to sustain those items, you've got to have transportation to and from. If you have a mental health issue, you've got to get that taken care of. You may have health issues. You may have child support and child issues. All kinds of things that if you don't shore those issues up as well, chances are you're going to get kicked out of the housing wherever you are. And you're not going to make it to work if you don't have housing. So they all go together. They fit together to make this comprehensive plan that the individual needs to be able to be a part of and see how everything works together. Since Unlocking Doors is is hooking people up with different partners to make sure they get what they need, and for each person it's going to be different. One person may not need X versus a person that definitely needs a lot more of Y. Um, how does Unlocking Doors stay with that person as opposed to almost just kind of handing them off to one of these partners and saying, good luck, see you later? Very good question. We um, we work with every individual and monitor them through our, our client database, which is managed and housed with Pieces Technologies, a part of PCCI over at Parkland Hospital. It's a fairly new organization that came about through a grant from the Carruth Foundation at the Communes Foundation of Texas. And this organization um, was put together to bring really competitive, economically competitive software, case management software and analytics software to organizations such as ours that deal with individuals and treating them and helping them. They started out by doing analytics in the hospital field. So let's look at the public health analytics and determine you know, where do we have, as we call it, the frequent flyers who are picking up every week, who are going to the ER and costing the taxpayers millions of dollars every year? Um, What are other areas? Are we having a high rise in diabetes? Are we having a high rise in HIV? What are the different areas we can look at predictive trends and determine what where the cost savings are and what maybe we need to focus more on? We're doing that exact same thing in criminal justice. And so it seemed just appropriate that we move and migrate our data and map it over to Pieces Technologies. So we've just finished doing that. And um, it allows us to monitor these clients within the database We set up certain meetings that they have to come and meet with us. Some can be done through telephone or email. We have at least one that has to be done in person. Um, The one thing we always have to be careful of is that we don't set the client up to be put in a worse situation than what we found them. And what I mean by that is you might have a low-level offender, someone who ranks low on the risk-level scale, who needs a job, Maybe they need a few other things, maybe some substance abuse treatment. We're not going to run them through the ringer on every day having services and court processes and all these things they have to go to because that will ultimately put them in a worse situation than they found, um, that we found them when they came to us. If they try to get a job and that's all they've really needed when they came to us, If we put them in a bunch of services that fill up their week, they're not able to make the job. Mm. So you've got to be pretty careful about how you handle it and don't over-exert these people. 
Um, they're going to be those that have the high level, you know, very, very high level um, risk for reoffending. They may have up to 20 different needs. At that point, we have to prioritize what's the most important. More than likely, it's going to be a mental illness issue. It's going to be a health issue. It's going to be housing, which has become the number one issue because there just simply isn't enough. Mm. Um, and so then we can go in and prioritize how often we're checking on these people. We are able to set up alerts within the system that will alert us to this person did go to this particular um, organization that we sent them to. They're doing fine. The social worker is letting us know. Or we haven't heard from this person in a while. Let's see what's going on. The other thing that we hear from the folks a lot is they have built a rapport with their broker, with their reentry broker, to the point that they feel comfortable calling, hmm. emailing, coming in and talking to them. And many times, like like Dina, who's here with us today, um, they will keep their broker abreast of everything that's going on because a lot of times, you know, when they're achieving these great things and have successes, they want to share it with someone. And there's no better cheerleader than their broker. Um, so... A lot of times we don't even have to do the follow-up. What we're finding is many times it's not that we're having to wait till that three-month meeting or six-month meeting to hear what's going on or do a random check. Most of the time they're coming back to us and telling us what's going on. They will also let us know if there are organizations, partners that we've sent them to that aren't providing the services that they say they do. And that's as as important as anything because we... We want to make sure we take care of that issue up front. Don't send anybody to those organizations that aren't providing or saying they're doing something that they're not. And we rebroker a new relationship. The point is to keep the client moving. Did you foresee having that responsibility when you first started? No, no, really not. And, you know, there are things like in anything we get involved in, there are things that that just pop up that are unintended. Um and you hope that those unintended things are positive. This definitely was a positive thing because we're actually able to be a resource for foundations, other donors who are wanting to vet services out there. Um, so it's become a really good thing. We can help organizations determine if they are really overlapping in services, and yet you may have a couple that they may be serving 25 over here and five over here and 10 over here. Maybe it's better if you collaborate and maybe even merge into one so that you can work with each other. And donors are going to be more willing to give you dollars if they see more of an impact. They don't have three different organizations doing the same thing coming to them, mm-hmm. asking for money. They can they can put it all into one pool and get a bigger impact for their dollars. So we try to help these organizations as well, everything from um, trying to really help them visualize what it is you want to be, what what is your specialty. Hone in on that. Don't try to be everything to everyone. There's plenty of people to serve. There's plenty of opportunity. But become known for what you do. I've noticed this. It's, it's better to do one thing really well yes. than to try and provide 18 services and do all of them kind of okay. That's right. That's right. All right, so I want to talk. There's still a lot we need to go over with the basics of this organization, but you brought up the thing that fascinated me the most already, and that's the numbers game. It looks like Unlocking Doors is really, it's based around this principle of analytics and using numbers to identify people and to use that to help people. So explain what you guys are doing as far as this data mining is concerned. Sure. So what we do is from intake, from the time a client comes in, 
um, and becomes a client, we are putting in their client data, everything about them, into our database. So every every action that takes place going forward is going to be encapsulized in our database. So at any given time, Nick, if you came to me and said, um, you know, with permission, obviously, from a client, I have a friend who is a, one of your clients. Could you just give me a demo of kind of what it looks like if I go into this friend's uh, folder within your database with permission? We go in, you're going to see everything from intake the demographics, you know, male, female, um, age range, um, children, whether those children are minors, whether they're paying child support for those, whether they're in arrears for child support, um, medical, mental health, transportation, housing, employment, whether they're veterans and what kind of military discharge they had, um, if they are signed up for selective service, I could go on and on. The education level, I mean, pretty much everything about this person, all the, you could pretty much understand who this person is by the time you look at the data that we've collected through our application and intake process. What we want to be able to show is this is the picture of what this person was like at the date of intake. This is the the way this person looks today after they've finished their plan. And depending on what your needs are and what level of risk you are, You may have two needs and finish those in three months or a month. You may have 20 needs like we talked about before, and it may take you a year and a half or two years. So is this the revolutionary or unique thing about unlocking doors that makes you guys who you are, that you're actually relying so much on this information tracking to produce results? Partly. That is one of the distinct factors about us. Uh, The other distinguishing factor is that you never graduate from unlocking doors. That was going to be a big question I had. Yeah. So that's okay. So think about going to your internal medicine doctor. You don't always need your doctor, but when you need your doctor, you need your doctor. Exactly. Okay. And once you've established a patient um, doctor relationship, a file's created, and then you go as needed. It's the same way with our clients. You know, you may go for your first physical with your with your doctor. They do a full workup. So they, again, like the assessment we do, to determine all your needs. If you've got special issues, you may have things you ta- want to talk to the doctor about getting help with. Yeah. The doctor would then possibly refer you to specialists who are going to help you with those different issues. He or she is going to monitor that situation. So receive the lab work back, receive... Um, any kind of test results, you know, coordinate with that specialist and you to make sure you're getting taken care of. And if that's not working, they're going to refer you to someone else. They're going to keep you moving till we get this situation established for you. Once you're well, you don't may not need your doctor for a year, two years, or whatever. But when you do, you'll have a place to come back because you've built that rapport with the doctor. They know who you are. They know your symptoms. They know what ailments you may have. And that's what we really are for the client. Having been incarcerated is not something that somebody snaps to them um, and, and is resolved completely once they come out into the free world. The longer you've been incarcerated, the harder it is. You have been institutionalized, basically. And there's a certain type of thinking that folks that have been institutionalized go through. You are basically told when you're going to get up, when you're going to go to bed, you know, if you're going to the school there, when to go to school, if you're in the industry portion of, of the prison system, when you go to work, 
Um, if you're locked up in administrative segregation, you're locked up 23 out of 24 hours of the day. So there is a whole new concept, and you've had new rules you've had to go through and learn. And you've pretty much had people telling you where to go, what to do. Well, you get out, and all of a sudden, it's a free-for-all. You, you're lost. You don't even know where to start. And don't forget, the world has probably changed a little bit since you <laughs> have last been in it. It yeah. changes almost daily for us regarding technology I, uh, and everything yeah, else. Yeah. So there is this concept that we are having to rewire thinking and help people really understand now they're responsible for their actions. They're responsible for getting to work if they get a job. So whether it's, you know, you take the bus and we help you with DART passes, DART's one of our partners, um, we can do that. There has to be accountability for that, though. If you aren't going to make it to work, what do you need to do? you got to call your boss. You can't just not show up. Right. And so um, that takes a while. And so it's fair to say that even if somebody's a low-level offender and they have one or two needs at the beginning— there is probably a 99.9% chance that at some point, it may take a year, but at some point, they're going to have another need. They're going to have something that happens that's going to trigger something. And what we hope is that we've built a relationship where they come to us, much akin to like an AA or NA type model, to where you have the sponsor, you have people in your group that you have feel very comfortable with and so we're hoping that you come to us versus going back to the old ways right exactly are you able to exploit that institutionalized mindset to a certain extent when you're trying to get people back into regular life i mean is there a way to kind of uh, you know manipulate that into a in, in a positive way because if there is a lot of structure in someone's life you can't apply that to something else Correct. Do you, do you guys do you guys kind of use that model, or is it all about just making sure that that person realizes that they're not that person anymore? Now they're trying to restart into something completely different, and it's tough, but it's necessary. When you're done, it will feel amazing. I would say what you just said. The later um, we've built out, we just opened our new headquarters on March 31st, and it was built out in a way that is really built for the clients, in based on kind of how at least we perceive that they would, an environment they would feel comfortable in coming to. And of course, Dina can tell you more about that. But everything from the color of the walls, which is blue, very calming, Mm. to a whole client area that's built out specifically for them. So it has a meditation room for calming because many times their lives, even if they have a supportive family or friends that they're coming home to, there's still drama. There's still chaos. They're still trying to figure out who am I? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to do these things? They need a place to just kind of let it all fade away and focus on the work that needs to be done. We have huge resource walls with rolling ladders that have, you know, pamphlets, brochures, uh, schedules, all kinds of things from our network of, of um, partners and providers, which is now at 170 statewide. Really? Um we have a living room for them, complete with a electric fireplace. We have their they have their own coffee bar, uh, juice, coke, snacks, um, K Rig, um, and I know you know. Hey, it's we love it. Yeah. Uh, and they even have their own uh, business center that's got ter- uh, desktop terminals ready for them to use to do uh, job searches, resume writing, sign up for uh, benefits that they're eligible for, whatever it is. 
The whole point is we're trying to create an environment that they enjoy coming to, and we want them to come and hang out, even if they don't have an appointment. What are, What is this group really looking to do? Because it sounds like you're doing multiple things for multiple people. People could understand uh, the whole prison system better if they looked at your analytics. You could help the state by reducing recidivism rates. And then, of course, you're helping the individual. Is it really this all-encompassing positive benefit that is being provided? Or are you really focused on one thing and then all the rest of the stuff just falls into place? It's really focused on one thing, and that is... The client, for the first time, is getting to see in a comprehensive manner, much like a counselor or a guidance counselor would be, that maybe helped us when we were going looking to go to college or whatever. Many times for the first time, they're seeing all the needs that they have down on paper and how they fit together and how you really can't achieve this over here unless you're also working on these things and how... You might get a job and you might have a place to live, but we got to get you transportation too, or you're not going to be able to sustain that. And then if you have this mental health issue, we need to also work on that because if all of a sudden you have a day where you're just down and depressed, you're not going to go to work, and then that spirals. And how they all, they really all comprehensively fit together. And once they get that and see that and understand how it works and start seeing progress and success in puzzle pieces basically when you say community model are we talking or community are we talking about where they're living type thing or in the community of unlocking doors the community as in our community as a whole so where you and i live okay seventy thousand plus offenders are being released from just the texas prison system not including federal or county jails every year so whether people like it or not you know wherever they sit on the barometer they're coming out to live with us. And, you know, a majority of these offenders are like Dina here, who you will hear from, that, you know, aren't a career, you know, convict or inmate. They have made a bad choice. They've, you know, gotten caught. There's been something that's happened to them, and they truly, truly do not want to go back. We as a community, as a whole, in order to try to help them achieve that, which is ultimately going to be better for all of us, need to embrace that. And that means employers opening their doors to allowing people with, you know, convictions and um, records to come in and work. That means, you know, us getting housing in locations where, you know, it's we can we can put up safe parameters, but we're going to have to have more housing if we're going to be able to adjust and deal with the numbers we have. Um Having this continuity of care and continuum model where people are getting the health care, the mental health care, you know, all the other needs that they have. Because if those don't get met, taxpayers are paying for this over and over and over again. Not to mention every time there's a crime, there's another victim. You could be the next one. Um, And so ultimately, at the end of the day, we're talking about building not only healthier communities, but healthy families. You kind of beat me to the punch because I was going to ask, I was going to kind of play devil's, <laughs> Sorry about ad- that. Well, I was going to play devil's advocate and say, why should I help somebody that's that's been in jail? What, what would be the positive benefit for me or mm-hmm. for my neighbor? Uh, and I think that there's probably a lot of people listening that, that, that still are kind of thinking that because a lot of what you do is education. Like you were saying, educating employers, educating community members right. as to why something like this is important. But I would guess that this is probably the origin story of Unlocking Doors. And, and it was the the reason why you did it. Yes. 
Yes. So when did this start? 2010. And so what was your personal, uh, you know, reason mm-hmm. for starting this? I um, had the very unique pleasure of serving as the first woman chairman of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice Board for Governor Perry. And not knowing what I was getting into in a couple of months within, within that role, um, I was just completely blown away. Most, A lot of, I would say, state commissions and boards um, tend to be more uh, business-oriented. You're rubber-stamping contracts, you're moving money, you're pushing paper. This was... This was an area where you could really make a difference because you're talking about managing everything that these inmates receive while they're incarcerated. Everything from health care, which is they are constitutionally um, allowed to get health care where you and I aren't in the free world, um, to their, what food they ate, um, you know, keeping on the electric bills. I mean, all the basics of living. So kind of like, I guess, akin to being a mayor of a large city, that sort of thing. But then you have all of the other issues that wrap around it, which is you've got public security at the core of this. And that's really the mission of the prison system. But also in their mission statement is rehabilitation and preparing the inmate for a, a good transition back into community. And so they're doing really good things at TDCJ. I was fortunate to be on at a time when really reentry was the buzzword that started around the country. And now to see where it's taken us, especially in Texas, where everyone still thinks that we are the, you know, lock them up and throw away the key and, and that kind of thing, you know, um, we've really taken the forefront on tackling the reentry issues. You see both sides of the political aisle coming together. It's one of the few issues that we have nowadays where they do. So I can speak to both sides of the political spectrum. The very, very liberal person who is really into how the offender or how the client um, is going to make it versus the guy that's super right who cares about his tax base and business and, you know, what's it going to do to the economy? And I don't care how you get there, just get there, because we all have the same outcome. It's going to hurt all of us if we don't do something about it. That's where Unlocking Doors was born. I was able to see um, from that bird's eye view as chairman of the board that you've got, at that time, we had 160,000 inmates. So it's now gone down to about 135,000, but we're still the largest in the in the country. You see them come out, you see them get their bus pass, you see them get their $100, whatever it is. Sometimes family picks them up, sometimes they are on the bus. You'll hear a story about that. And, you know, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, where they're going to lay their head. You know, it's, and so there has to be a guide. There has to be a bridge to get them over to those places that are going to help them with that. And you can't just call up one resource or one service and get those specific, all the different things that you need to make it through that evening or make it through the first week so we can get you on to the next thing. I know. It's, hey, it's heavy. It's anxiety-inducing. <laughs> um, just talking about it. I thought that you were going to say that you were, that you were uh, not angered, but just disappointed maybe with how the state was kind of running things when you got in that position. But it really sounds like you're, you're actually proud of how the state's doing it, but you saw an opportunity to help. There is a place for the prison system. I think that's the, the key point here, is that prisons are, have an 
absolute place in our society. There are people that will never and should never live with you and I, um, whether it be there's just something wrong and they will sit across the table from you and say, if I get out, I'm going to do the same thing again or I'm going to do it to you. And then there are those people that no matter how much society tries to lift them up and work with them, they're just never going to get it. And so at some point we have to say enough's enough. I think over the last 20 plus years, it's been easy for us because we're such a large state Mm. with a lot of money and we're able to build prisons. We've gotten away from what prisons are meant for. And it's we haven't given judges a lot of alternatives to incarceration. And so we have started the talk and the talk did start about 20 years ago. And we've come to this point now about reentry and about what programs work and what doesn't. But the real key and really what our model is built on is that analytic piece when you come down to it, because I can serve a thousand people. And if at the end of the day, I can't tell you as a policymaker or you as a funder why this has helped, how how this model has helped these many people, you're not going to give me money. You're not going to give me your any policy changes that would, I kind of figured that that was what was a lot of this about. You you can you can trot out the the perfect examples right. all you want, but right. what really works in a governmental uh, aspect is numbers. That's right. Here's the statistics. That's right. This will make a difference. He, it's it's right in front of your it face. It is. It is. You got to give them something to hang their hat on. Christina Milton Crane is the founder, president, and CEO of Unlocking Doors. Uh, well, let's talk about the people that are actually using your services. We've talked about basically everything else, I think, about your organization. Uh, we are going to have a representative from Unlocking Doors coming up in the next segment. Her name is Dina Jackson. But right now, uh, we haven't even covered who gets in and how. So how do people get to be a part of Unlocking Doors? variety of ways. Um, they can self-referral themselves. So they've heard about us through either our advertisement in the prison newsletter, state prison newsletter, Um one of our 170-plus partner providers refers them to us. Um, they've seen social media, media clips, heard the radio like this. Um, grants, um, we get pulled into grants from different um, different specialty need groups. For instance, HIV, a doctor may be doing research. They want to pull us in to do the reentry brokerage piece, uh, provide the service. Um or disability or veterans or whatever other specialty group, because we are at the table in every one of these conversations. Um, That gives you an idea. There are many, many access points. Um, Once they get to us, then we find out from them, how did you hear about us? Because we think that's real important for us, not only internally, but also we can share that data. More analytics. Yeah, you got it. It all comes down to data, doesn't it? Um, But we can determine, you know, if if our marketing strategies are proper, if we need to bump them up, you know, eliminate some. Um, The prison system newsletter is a big one because they will tear out the ad They will keep it. They will mail a letter to us. We actually respond to every letter, keep a matrix of who all we responded to. And then when they come in, they will usually bring the letter we sent them along with the torn out ad. And then we can tell the prison system, hey, your newsletter is working. You know, they're using it Uh, because that's one of the first things that will get cut if there's, you know, a budget deficit. So 
once they make it to us, I don't know if you want me to go on and kind of tell how they work through the program. But well, of course, yeah, I, I absolutely do. And I, I do. I guess the only other question I had about people finding the organization would be that getting them as they're leaving, you know, yes. instead of we were talking that lonely, desperate right. walk to a bus to nowhere versus walking out of those gates and knowing that you're going to go to unlocking doors. Right. So is that is that the ultimate goal? It is. Um, we call it pre-release. And we actually have a pre-release program with TDCJ. Okay. Um, it's in six of the female prisons right now in Gatesville and Marlin, Texas. Um, I have a reentry broker that actually worked for TDCJ. She's a retiree. She was a certified teacher at Wyndham School District, which is inside the prison system. And um, she goes in weekly to all six prisons. And they call it laying in. If somebody has opted in, they're 180 days or less from being released, either paroling out or being direct released from TDCJ, she they can opt into the program. She comes in and she does all the intake up to the point that she can before you know before them being in the free world. Sends it all back through our database to us. Gets actually gives them an appointment card. So when they get out, they know to come not only to the parole officer if that's what they're doing, but also when to come see us. So. We're doing a lot more of that pre-release, whether it be TDCJ, federal system, um, you know, local jail, um, that sort of thing. Because I think if you can, like you said, if you can catch them even before they step foot out here. Are the self-referrals the best clients? Yes, they really are. um, Because usually it's a referral from another client or a lot of people are related. So we've had people bring their mother in. Or bring their cousin in, call, sit there in our foyer and call their friend and say, you need to get up here. Mm. And if the client is receiving what they need to receive to move forward, then they're going to be our biggest ambassador. I mean, I can sit here all day and say what I think based on my experience, being involved, getting really deep into the trenches of how the system works and the different needs and that sort of thing are and what they need. But nobody can tell it better like a client. You guys are growing. You just got your new headquarters. Yes. And it looks like you guys are looking out from Dallas County. Yes. So are, are you are you feeling uh, the idea that this is really going to take a hold as a statewide program, possibly a national? Yes, I do. Um, we currently have a Tarrant County office as well. And we've had that for three years now. And we're looking to expand to Austin Houston, and San Antonio by 2019-20. The way we expand is not the typical expansion. We look for a partner or provider who's in that locality, and then we go in and ask for space, let us come in and co-join, let's be a one-stop shop. That's what we did in Tarrant County. It saves on resources. It makes it easier for the clients. We can refer back and forth. it's just it's just the way it should be done. And so we're already in discussions with with partners in those particular localities. And so I think it can move a lot faster that way as well. And we've Harris County, for instance, um, I've got two partners who've already said, you know, how fast can you get here? Because it is the largest returning county mm. area in the state. Really? Dallas is second. Oh, wow. 
All right, I don't normally phrase it like this, but we've got a couple minutes left. You weren't joking when you came in and said that we could talk about this for hours. I could talk to you about this for hours. I feel like we've only just kind of begun. But uh, we've got another guest. Yes. And we've only got so much time. So is there anything else that you wanted to mention about Unlocking Doors kind of before we we wrap this up? Because we could talk about who the brokers themselves are. Uh, How many people are involved? I don't even think we got this out there. How many people are involved right now with Unlocking Doors? Okay, the current number, and I pulled it just before I came here. The current number that we have on reentry brokerage services, meaning clients that we're actually doing the, the full workup on, 2,705, okay? That sounds like a lot. It does sound like a lot. That's only scratching the surface. Um, And then through our other collaborations, we give referrals to people. I do, uh, we do data and management with, you know, um, analytics for folks, colleges, media, uh, other folks that need that. We also help like families, et cetera. We have another over our Six-year stint thus far, we have another 25,892 individuals that we've served with all those other services. Wow. So there's just a great need. And I think that's what I would probably leave you with is that we truly feel a gap that has existed for a very, very long time. It We're bridging the ability for these folks with the criminal backgrounds that have the need, that really want to do better and move forward, we give them the chance. We give them that opportunity as best as they possibly can have to connect to those services and then have us as a guide ongoing as long as they need um, to get there. But we also help, like you mentioned before, educate the public as to these issues. Help somebody that just has a quick question and can't get a call back. We want to be the last place anybody calls. So, If you call us with just a simple question or you call us because you need services, we're going to be the last call you make. You guys do have an event uh, happening on September 22nd. It's the Texas Reentry Symposium that's happening over at the Below Mansion. I'm sure you could find more about that at your website. Yes. Unlockingdoors.org. Very good. (laughs) Thank you. Very, very good. Christina Melton Crane is the founder, president, and CEO of Unlocking Doors. Their website, unlockingdoors.org, or you can give them a call at 214-296-9258. I really want to thank you. Thank you very much. Very much for your time today. When we return, Dina Terrell of Unlocking Doors joins me in studio. You're listening to Better Living. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 